Hello, everybody. This is Alex Schiffer from the Kansas City Star. I'm joined alongside Blair Kirkhoff, and today we'll talk about Mizzou's penalty from the NCAA in the academic fraud case and some Mizzou basketball news that maybe close a little bit out on signing day. This is the espresso shot version of the podcast. Probably going to make this pretty quick, given that uh, Blair is in a hurry to get on the Chiefs conference call. Blair, how you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Hope you are too, buddy. Yeah, let's just jump right into last Thursday's news where I was on the plane back from Auburn completely devoid of in-flight Wi-Fi when the bomb dropped against CA's ruling. Uh, I think by now most people kind of know the gist of a lot of this postseason ban for football and softball and, be- and uh, baseball in Missouri. Huge recruiting reductions with uh, 5% scholarship drops, seven weeks restrictions on the road for Mizzou's coaches, and a drop in official visits. Uh, I'm just curious, what are your, what's your, what was your immediate takeaway on hearing the news? Well, uh, we knew we knew it was coming at some point. Uh, it kind of snuck up on everybody uh, when it dropped that day. I, I, um, you know, I can second that. Yes, I, I know. Um, uh, so, so it happened. What, like you said, a week ago today, and it just kind of took our breath away when you when you uh, went down the list of, uh, of punishments. I, I, you know, I think it's been covered pretty, uh, pretty thoroughly in the media, and, and I would just echo the thoughts of, of those that I've heard who say uh, the punishment may fit the crime in, the, in, the, in terms of the punishment matrix that, that, they, that the NCAA uses, um, but, but, but often consideration is given for, team, for schools that cooperate in the investigation and, the, and do the self-reporting, uh, and that didn't seem to be the case here. Now, what that suggests, nobody nobody is saying, but we can um, we can go a, a few ways on this. It's that the NCAA is uh, is trying to send a message, and there are there is no wiggle room for for schools that commit the violations. No matter how it's discovered, or whether the the school owns up to it or not, the, um, the, the, there there are certain, uh, as we know, there are certain levels of violations. Missouri's was a level one, and so they got level one punishment for it. Um, I can't help but think uh, back to last um, last year uh, when the Condoleezza Rice Commission was. Uh, was before the media and discussed some of the changes that were going to occur in college sports, and one of which was uh, uh, punishment that had some teeth. This this seems to fall under that category. This is a punishment that has teeth, and we can tell it has teeth by the way that Missouri reacted to it. Um, and I don't. I know we don't talk about rivals on on, on, on this podcast often. But the very next day, the Kansas decision came down with, uh, from the NCAA regarding Sylvia de Souza, and the, the fact that basically the NCAA rendered him ineligible for his entire career, all of this year, all of next, which would leave him one year of eligibility. Um, and, and the outcry was just as loud from Lawrence uh, on, on, on that day as it was from Columbia the previous day. And 
think that was just in, in a 24-hour period we got we got to see what the NCAA has meant by um, by being tougher on on schools that that have broken rules, no matter how they're investigated or how the information comes to the NCAA. The punishment is going to uh, they're, they're not going to show much leniency. And I think uh, if you want to say they made an example of, of Missouri in this case, I uh, nobody from the NCAA will say that, but I, it, it, that's what it looks like to me. I agree with everything you just said, and I think that the, the Condoleezza Rice Commission is an angle that isn't really being talked about a lot. I, I couldn't help but laugh a little bit on Twitter. You know, when the Sylvia D'Souza ruling came down, I, uh, I actually thought that he'd be ruled ineligible for this season, but maybe they let him play next season. But I thought it was funny that, you know, I think you know, a lot of talk among Missouri fans, even some reader emails I got where, you know, watch with the week we've had, Kansas has Sylvia D'Souza ruled eligible the next day. And then it, it kind of, you know, for once, I think maybe Mizzou and Kansas fans there, I say, had something in common and, uh, and had common ground to talk on. But, uh, but no, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I think that the big thing going forward with all this is that does it set a precedent with future schools and investigations of where we're going to just play hardball because being nice doesn't do us any favors? And I think that's the real thing to take away from this going forward is does, does this kind of show schools that that transparency gets you nowhere and if we find ourselves in this situation in a few years we're just going to lawyer up and make it as difficult for you as we possibly can yeah I, I, you're right you're right about that and, and and one thing we didn't touch on that, that is absolutely that was a big part of the day's discussion and conversation uh, and, and then in the aftermath was this was the first uh, it's not the first, among the first major uh, violation decisions and NCAA decisions since uh, North Carolina's non-punishment for what I consider one of the most um, uh, awful um, displays of academic fraud maybe in the history of college sports. And, uh, and of course, North Carolina uh, basically was freed on a technicality um, and, and uh, you know, the, the North Carolina fraud endured for 18 years and affected hundreds and hundreds of athletes, including basketball players on both their 2005 and 2009 national championship teams. Meanwhile, a handful of Missouri players, you know, athletes benefited from you know, a, a rogue tutor who, uh, who the, the athletic department did not know what was occurring, and, and this is something interesting too, Alex. And I've, I've talked to a couple of people since it came out, and a couple of coaches have told me. Uh, for for those who may not know this, you know, when we say a rogue tutor, this is how rogue she was. Schools not only do coaches not know, you know, they know that their athletes are being tutored, but they don't know who the tutors are. They're not supposed to know, and so they they, they don't know. It's only um, it's, it's only the academic advisor of the school that that is uh, you know that that is has that information. So when when this was happening, coaches had no idea that, uh, and, and apparently the academic advisor had no idea either that that this was going on. She was totally on her own on this. So uh, so that's that's what adds to the kind of the head shaking nature of the punishment for Missouri that the 
And, and, and as always, as always, it's uh, the, the, the athletes who are currently there are the ones that are going to pay for this. And not only the ones that are currently there, but the ones who might want to come there that won't be recruited by Missouri because of the recruiting restrictions, which, as you know, is following, following recruiting as you do, can be probably the, the bowl ban is the, is the most talked about of the punishments, but the recruiting restrictions are the ones that are going to impact the program the most. Yeah, let, there's uh, a lot to unpack there. Um, I, I guess to start off, you know, I was talking, you, you brought up North Carolina. You know, I, I think people forget sometimes North Carolina essentially sold its academic soul to, with that loophole with the NCAA. They essentially said, well, it also benefited regular students, and we just don't care about academics uh, to let that happen. And, and Mitch Forty, a friend of the program over at Power Mizzou, obviously the son of Pat Forty, I was talking to him the other night about this, and I said, you know, what does your dad think of all this? And I, I thought he said it very eloquently. He just said, as you said, the punishment fits the crime, but ever since the UNC ruling, if we're going to view things through that prism, the NCAA just completely overreacted given how they handled North Carolina. And, and I think there's not nearly as much national attention on all this as the North Carolina thing never happens. I, I think most people look at as well. Missouri was transparent. Uh, they it didn't do them any favors. Tough luck, but because of the, the way North Carolina went down, I think that's why this has gotten the amount of national attention that it has. I, absolutely, um, and it, it still it, it, it should still bother people. Um, it, it, it just does, and it, it reopened the kind of the wounds for uh, for those who were dumbfounded by the the, the, the lack of. Um, the lack of action by the NCAA when it came to that it came to the Tar Heels that they were able to get away with what they got away with when it was the most blatant and open uh, forms of cheating in like I said in, if it were just a year or two you wouldn't you know you, you would you would kind of just say tisk tisk and that should never have happened that's happened elsewhere but the fact that it endured for as long as it did. Um, that uh, it, it boggles the mind, and for North Carolina to to have escaped all kinds, you know, everything to escape all, any kind of punishment for that, um, not, not just from the NCAA, but I, I was looking at this recently too. I, I happened to be on a website that was ranking colleges, you know, U.S. News and World Report, and there are other, you know, other ways to measure the the, the, the reputation and the academic strength of of, uh, of of public universities and North Carolina is at least for the 2019 year hasn't been affected by that and I thought that if 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 the NCAA didn't get it at least the national reputation would take a hit and that doesn't seem to have been the case only only with rival fans and and, and those that are just uh, uh, d d who were disgusted by by what occurred there so I mean, when we say North Carolina got off scot-free, I mean, it really seems to have been scot-free for them. Yeah, you talked about the recruiting issues with Missouri. What stunned me was that this had nothing to do with recruiting, and yet Missouri got recruiting penalties as a result of this. Jim Stork, Barry Odom, everyone expressed shock that they got penalties when it just had completely, absolutely nothing to do with recruiting. As we said, this is academic fraud. 
But you, you talked about that, and, and I think another angle that might not be getting talked about as much, and we were going to discuss this on the last podcast before things came up, Missouri operated $1.8 million in the red its last fiscal year, which is an improvement from $5 million in the red the previous year. And this bowl band takes bowl money out of their pocket. It's about an $8, 9000000 million loss. And it also deprives them of a year where the schedule and everything was setting up for them to have a New Year's Six Bowl. And I, I know, you know, a lot of people don't think they're going to have much luck in the appeals process, but to me, if, if you're Jim Sterk, I think you do everything you can to get the bowl band pushed back just one year. Because the, the one thing about recruiting, and, and we were talking about this with some of my recruiting sources, exposure is one of the best sales tools you have, whether it's on national TV or just coming up in the rankings every week. If you're Missouri, I think if you can get the bowl band pushed back one year, you milk the hell out of the Kelly Bryant year and you win nine, 10 games, you're playing on New Year's Day. I think that that will help offset some of the recruiting restrictions you have by the inability to go off the road on the road and, and the amount of business scholarships because people will still want to play for your program even if they're not regularly coming through the door because of what they're dealing with. I think that obviously winning is the best sales pitch. And if Missouri can get this pushback one year and really, really get everything it can out of this upcoming season, I think that's one of its best chances of combating everything the NCAA just threw down on them. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State. And no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at kansascity.com slash sports pass. But I also think there's an argument to be made that you, you, it, it, from Kelly Bryant, correct me if I'm wrong, that he's referring to errors, yeah. indicated that he's going to play for Missouri next year. It doesn't matter what, what the... What, uh, what, what the appeal process brings, that he will be a Tiger. And with that, um, I, I just, uh, part of me wonders if it's just, okay, let's let's get it behind us. Let's, let's accept it, get it behind us. Because it looks like, to me, it looks like Missouri's got its quarterback situation set up for the next few years, right? You know, after Brian, yeah. you know, the, T, the TCU transfer and, and after that, uh, the, the freshman, or the, the, the recruit, Connor, uh, I forgot how to pronounce his last name, Basil, Basilic or Basilac. Um, so it seems like they've got, you know, at least that position is, is secure uh, for, the next, for the next few years. So I think an argument can be made that um, if, if the appeals don't, don't work, if there's, um, uh, well, I guess the question is whether you appeal or not. Missouri has indicated that that's going to happen, but uh, I, I, I just wonder if, you know, I, I haven't studied it as, as maybe as you have, and I, I guess I didn't, I didn't know if this is a Missouri team that will end up in the preseason top 15 and have a, you know, have a shot at competing with Georgia for the division title and, and feel like a, 
you know, a New Year's Day or New Year's Eve type of a bowl team. If that's the case, then what you say makes sense. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're coming up on 15 minutes here. I know you got to get – before we talk basketball real quick, I'm just curious, what are your general thoughts on Missouri's chances in the appeal process? You know, my father's an attorney. He, uh, he mainly deals with uh, DEA-related law. He thinks there are ways for Missouri to maybe trade in either one penalty for a fine or, or a heavy fine or just kind of do a little slice and dice with maybe – trading one penalty for another, but uh, I don't think the whole thing gets wiped away. A, a lot of lawyers that deal with NCAA-related cases aren't very optimistic. I, I think there's a chance that maybe something gets slashed, but not the whole thing. And, and I think, again, we could debate this for hours, but I think the question comes down to if you're Missouri, do you go for the bowl ban getting waived the year, or do you try to go for the restrict the recruiting restrictions, which you might have a better shot with because – this has nothing to do with recruiting, and maybe that's where your better, uh, your bread and butter is. Yeah, well, um, uh, it, you know, it might it might depend on how uh, how, how much time there is uh, going forward, and whether Missouri is going to start losing some of their 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 rising seniors who will have the ability to transfer without without uh, restriction, right? And uh, I think you wrote recently that. Some schools have already started to inquire about uh, Missouri seniors, so um, it might have something to do with that. I, my my gut is, unless the NCAA finds some technicality uh, issues with the, you know, with, with the punishment, that the, that the appeal would be unsuccessful. Um, and I, I'm not a lawyer like your father, uh, but it's just in, in the history of of these matters, there has there have been. Well, I'd have to look it up. It's just it's not common to, to see an appeal be successful. I, I, I agree with you. Let's move on to Missouri basketball real quick before we get out of here. Uh, Missouri 1-1 one one in this last two games. It beat Vanderbilt on Rally for Ryan Day with, uh, with a few nice performances. And not a bad loss at Tennessee the other night. I was there. 12-point loss, Missouri never really let them run away with it. If, if it got to 10, Missouri would hit a couple shots and get it to 7. If it got to 15, Missouri hit a couple shots and got it down to 8. They never really let Tennessee run away with it, obviously, this is the number one team in the country. Uh, a few of my quick takeaways before uh, I turn it over to you. No pun intended, but I, I Missouri has only had nine turnovers its last two games. Uh I think that that's a stark improvement from the issues they've had there all year. Jeremiah Tillman, I wrote about this last week. This is the best stretch of his career. He's now played seven straight games of scoring at least eight points and playing at least 27 minutes. Uh, I think Conzo Martin's knocking on wood as he hears those two things, but it appears their biggest issues are are starting to be addressed. And and I think now, you know, we've talked about the NIT being on the table. I, I think, I think now it's like, okay, you just played number one Tennessee. No one expected you to go win and win there on the road. But you seem to be turning a corner with the two biggest things that have held you back in the past. Now that you've fixed them or seem to have fixed them, prove it and go win a couple. Well, and I think the schedule sets up for the possibility of that with, uh, uh, with the A&M. A&M and, and Arkansas coming to town. Arkansas at home, both. And so I, 
Uh, it looks like it, it has a chance to be a good a good week for for Missouri. But you're you're right. I was watching. I was going back and forth between uh, Mizzou, Tennessee, and, and Kansas, Kansas State the other night, and uh, I, I was impressed. You're right. You know, Rick Barnes had to call a couple of timeouts, and I'm sure he didn't want to to, to berate his team over uh, the, the way they were the way Mizzou was playing. And everybody can remember what happened that first time that these two teams played in uh, in Columbia. How ugly that thing got. How out of hand in the second half. That was uh, that, that game unfolded. So uh, it is it is encouraging. And uh, with a loss, Missouri still the game over 500. If they can just stay over 500, just keep overall that is. You know, it's going to be hard for them to end up with a with a break even record in conference play. But stay over 500 overall. And if you do that, then you can think about postseason possibilities. But once you you know, let's just say they win these two games to go to 13 and 10 and um, and then the schedule does get a little bit harder with, with uh, I know Kentucky's Kentucky's on there. They go to Florida, Mississippi State. So um, they've got to, you know, might have to go find a way to steal one. I, they play as well as they did at Tennessee. It, it, it's one of these road games. You, I, I give them a chance on, on the road, but staying above 500, and, and they can they can think about postseason play. Yeah, and and quick food for thought before I bring up one more thing. Missouri ends the regular season uh, home against Ole Miss, home against South Carolina, and at Georgia. And Georgia's obviously a team that might finish in the cellar. They could be checked out by then. As you said, if they can pick off one or two of these on the road, even getting Ole Miss next Saturday at their place, that's not Rupp Arena or a historically tough place to play, and they finish strong and they win one or two in Nashville, there's a chance there that, that they they can sneak in. And, again, we'll kind of see where they go. But the schedule is there in some ways, as you said, with the next few and then the last few to where they could maybe sneak in if, if they can just pick one or two off that they shouldn't. Yeah, so that's what I'd be looking for for the Tigers. Uh, but but the encouraging thing is just, just playing better. Tillman without the fouls, um, the, the guards without the turnovers, and – uh, you, you, those add those together, and, and you've got a team that can, I think can compete with anybody on its schedule. So uh, that's those are the encouraging signs I took from the, you know, especially from the Tennessee game. Last thing for you, Missouri announced uh, yesterday officially. We were out in front of that a little bit that they will officially retire Derek Chivas as number three for the Kentucky game. I uh, was secretly hoping that might be enough juice to get you or Vahe here for that. <laughs> but uh, but since I was, I, you know, I see Derek Chivas' son play now at Tolton. He's a good player. He could probably be Division One down the line. But since I have missed seeing the – I was not even born when, uh, when he was in his prime at Missouri and in the NBA. I was, I was curious if you had a, a memory or a thought of, of his retirement, uh, his number retirement, and, uh, and what kind of player he was back in the day. Well, his first, his last year at Missouri was my first year in Kansas City, so I, I so I, I basically missed him. I, um, I, I, I to be honest with you, I did not. I only saw him play on television, even after I moved to KC. But what, what what's interesting to, for me to recall is that era of Big Eight basketball. Is just, every every team seemed to have a star or two, like an All America level star, like. Uh, Danny Manning over at Kansas and Mitch Richmond at Kansas State and Jeff Grayer and, and Hornacek up at Iowa State. Uh, uh, 
Byron Houston and uh, came a little bit later in Oklahoma State. But that was in the middle of the, some of the great, great Oklahoma teams with Stacey King and Lucy Blaylock. Uh, so it was, it was absolutely the golden era of, of Big 8 basketball. Uh, and, and their team has been a, a, a fantastic all-around player for the Tigers. And, uh, and, and, and with, with him, Missouri State in the polls. They competed for conference uh, championships and tournament championships. He was one of Norm Stewart's all-time greats. I think if you had to pick a, a starting, an all-Norm Stewart team, uh, their teams would be on the starting five. Well said. It is 23 minutes and 50 seconds, so he went a little over, but not too bad. Uh, he's Blair Kirkhoff. I'm Alex Schiffer, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, Blair. We'll have a guest. We'll have two. We could be coming off two, potentially, uh, two wins for Missouri basketball, and maybe the, the heartbeat is still there a bit, or we can take out the shovels and uh, go behind it's the barn and maybe start and maybe start talking about the end of the season. We'll, we'll yeah. figure something out. Sounds good, Alex. Take care, Blair.